When I was a boy growing up on Henry's branch, summer was my favorite time of the year. A theoretical two spanks for me. But I was never spanked because I never got in trouble. What are you doing up on that rock? We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. And every time that you tune in to bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And on today's episode of the show, it's stories about summertime and the living is easy. We wanted to share with you some classic tales that reminded us of summertime. We've all got great summer memories, biking with your pals, going on adventures, playing baseball, climbing rocks, wading in rivers, visiting family, coming home again. It's one of the greatest times of the year when the days are long and the weather is hot and we wanted to bring you some classic stories that remind us of those good memories. You'll hear Nora Dooley tell a story called When Our Street Lights Come On, a story about biking with her brother. You'll hear Tim Lowry with a story called Summer, a little collection of vignettes that remind him of summers as a kid growing up in South Carolina. You'll hear Olga Loya tell a story called A Possum and Coyote, a myth about an old tree and you'll hear Allison Downey sing about coming home again. We hope these stories will remind you of some summer memories that you can keep with you all year long. And to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Samantha Danes, one of our assistant producers. Samantha, it's great to have you with me. Good to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this Nora Dooley story. Tell us about Tell us about when our streetlights come on. Yeah, I love this story. It reminds me of riding my bike up and down my street when I was a kid. Um, it's about Nora Dooley, uh, who was very good at staying out of trouble. And the one time her brother got her in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, even the title of the story is evocative. So many children, me included, know and understand that that's when mom would want you home, right? Mm -hmm. In the days before, quick and easy communication. You had instructions if you were out in the neighborhood to be home by the time the streetlights came on, right? Yep. So even the title is evocative of, of a lot of memories. The story mm -hmm. is from Nora Dooley, and the title again is When Our Streetlights Come On. Happy to bring it to you on The Appleseed. My older brother was always in trouble. I never got into trouble. I was a coward. I was afraid of everything, snakes and thunder and lightning. Kevin said he was not afraid of anything. And I was so shy. I couldn't talk to anyone. Kevin wasn't shy. He had friends. My brother and I were often mistaken for twins, but he was more than a year older. We both had very dark hair, but my hair was an awful mess. It stuck up and out in every which way, while my brother had a neat crew cut. My brother had no freckles, and my face was covered in them. Yeah, our faces were very similar, except I had really red lips and had broken my brand new front tooth, and what was left of it was in my mouth like a curved yellow scimitar. My brother used to call me Snagglepuss. Some days that name made me cry. Other days it just made me mad. We looked alike. I was not like Kevin. I did not call people names. I did not get into trouble. Not ever. Trouble did not look like fun. I mean, in school, trouble meant teachers pulling you by your ear to the front of the classroom or an assembly and calling you names. I cried when I saw that happening to my brother. Just the thought of it ever happening to me gave me nightmares. And then there were the school punishments to consider. 
Contemplating after-school detention or impossible tasks like writing your entire spelling book ten times over in one night made me shake with fear. I was more frightened of trouble than of snakes, lightning, and thunder put together. At home, trouble meant my mother would yell, and she was scary when she was unhappy. And when he came home, my father would spank. Three hits for Kevin, because he was older, and a theoretical two spanks for me. But I was never spanked because I never got in trouble. And worst of all, if you were bad, you were forced to stay inside. That was absolutely the worst. Trouble never seemed worth the trouble to me, frankly. Kevin and I loved to ride our bikes every day in every weather. We were allowed to ride anywhere on our block, but within the boundaries. There were only six houses in the deep woods all around, and there were very few people on our street and no kids. Our boundaries were where Chief lived and to our side of the crossroad. Now, Chief was a vicious, drooling bull mastiff with a thunderous bark. It was very easy to keep away from that boundary. He chased kids on bicycles that got too near his house, and he tried to bite their feet and legs. Even Kevin wouldn't go there. And I never went past the crossroad, the other boundary. One day, Kevin was sitting on his bike in the middle of our empty road and called out to me, Come on, Snagglepuss! Let's go to the swamp and get some cattails. Don't call me that, I said, and I leaped on my small new two-wheeler. My dad had just recently taken off the training wheels, and I wobbled down the driveway, riding to Kevin. Okay, Big Chief Broken Tooth, said Kevin. You are, he big ugly. And he grinned at me while that sunk in, and then he swung his huge black bike in an easy circle and swooped off down towards the end of our block. Now, Kevin knew I would chase him, and now he had company, without having to beg his younger sister to come along. We were not allowed to go to the swamp across the road from our block. It was off limits. It was out of bounds and dangerous. The ruins of an old gas station sat in swampy water with cattails, twisted steel, broken glass, and deep holes all around it. It was dangerous, and it was tempting, and it was just across the road. Well, I followed Kevin. I never could hold a grudge for long, and besides, Kevin was the only kid to play with on our whole block unless you considered our younger sister, and I did not consider her because she was only four years old, and she rode a tricycle. Need I say more? So Kevin and I went to the swamp and picked cattails. The older kids used to sell cattails to grown-ups. They called them punks. Smoke from burning cattails or punks chased away mosquitoes, and some people paid as much as a quarter for them, each one of them. So we collected quite a few cattails in a short time, and Kevin had the idea that we could bring our cattails to his friends, the Cummings boys, and we could sell them or trade with them. But Kevin, I said, the Cummings live all the way up the old hill. And I looked up the long hill and then back towards home. Oh, don't be such a baby, said Kevin. I do it all the time. And then he rode his bike just a bit forward and turned around to talk to me. You do? I was shocked. So that's where he was all the time when he said he was playing in the woods. Yeah, said Kevin. There's lots of houses up there. All the kids play on the street there. You know, the Cummings boys. Now, the Cummings boys were Grandma Cracky's grandsons, and I love those guys. They were so much fun. Huh. He said, yeah, besides, it's all the way downhill to get home. We'll be home before the streetlights come on. Well, that day was so fair and fine. It was a real Indian summer, October kind of day, and something in that air and sunshine made me forget my trouble with trouble. Okay, I said, and my heart beat wildly as I struggled up the long hill, past the deep woods, to the road where there'd be lots of houses and lots of kids to play with. 
Well, there were four Cummings boys and a few other kids, and they were all outside their houses riding bikes with motors on them. They traded us money and balloons for the punks, and Kevin and I made loud motors and attached them to the rear frame of our bikes. We raced up and down the street together. What a racket. We sounded like a motorcycle club. When the Cummings boys were called in for dinner, it sent a shiver of shock through my body. For the first time, I remembered home and my mother. Come on, let's go, Kevin, I said, heading for the end of the block. Yeah, yeah, said Kevin. He was stuffing the money and extra balloons he had into his pockets from trading the punks. Don't be such a worrywart, he said, and he slowly swung his leg over his bike. But then he looked up, and we both saw it. The streetlights were lighting up one by one by one in a path toward home. "Uh Uh-oh, said Kevin, as it got darker. Oh, that darkness deepened quickly, almost like someone was pulling the dark sky over the sun the way a shade is pulled. Those streetlights were our signal to be inside our house, not half a mile away from it. Usually we saw them from our driveway. Did I mention how scared of the dark I was? Oh, no, I said. And I could see my brother was frightened and worried, and if he was scared, oh, I knew I was in trouble. Me? In trouble? Well, Kevin and I flew down that hill. We pedaled like mad. We were screaming like banshees in the wind. We screeched into our driveway, making a sharp foot-down turn and raised dust and scattered pebbles everywhere. We hopped off our bikes and left them in a jumble where they dropped. We ran into the house. I guess we had been visiting a long time. Dinner was cold and untouched on our table. My mother's eyes were red from crying, and our younger sister sat in her lap, clinging to her. Mom stared at us in silence for a moment and then spoke into the phone. Never mind, they just came in. Yes, they seem fine. Thank you, officer. Our mother hung up with the police and turned to us. Was she mad? Oh my. Was I in trouble? You bet. And did I get spanked? Indeed. Nothing theoretical about it and punishment was just as bad as I had imagined. But that night, instead of nightmares about spankings or being late or being so far away from where you needed to be that you couldn't get there, I dreamed of riding my bicycle everywhere. Nora Dooley with the story, When Our Streetlights Come On. I'm listening to it not only with you, but with Samantha Danes, one of our assistant producers. Samantha, what do you love about that story? I love how much it reminds me of summer. And <laughs> this episode's all about summer stories, and I it just reminds me of the good times when there was nothing I needed to be doing, no homework, just could be out with friends for as long as I needed to be. It's the best. Such you know, good memories. I, I, I think about... Uh, it, it evokes for me a time, the, well, the time of, of hanging out with my siblings when I was a, a kid, you know. And we had a lot of fun. We got each other in trouble. We bounced back from it, you know. All, all, all of the—this, of course, is not a story of my family, but it brings to my mind stories of my family. I think after hearing this story, I want to I call my brother <laughs> and share some, some childhood memories of oh, bikes man. and everything else. You Scraping know. your knees. That's in right. trouble, <laughs> all that fun stuff. And one of the fun things is, if I do that, my brother will remember all of the things that I remember. 
except he'll remember them differently. Yep, that's you know? always how it goes, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the comparing of notes about our childhoods that sometimes leads to the, 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 the best times for and us. And it's so know? fun, and sometimes yeah. they remember things that you don't remember. That's right, that's right. You know, we always have this sort of feeling that we know everything about whatever thing we have a first-person memory of, right? Mm -hmm. Because, after all, we were there, Mm -hmm. right? But if there was anybody else involved at all, they're going to tell a completely different story than you are. They can amplify your memory with the the details that they remember and you don't, and vice versa. You can amplify their memory with the details that you remember and they don't. Uh, I wonder what the the mom remembers from that story. Probably a lot of panic and not quite so much fun. (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to listen to When Our Street Lights Come On, that story by Nora Dooley, of course, listening with Samantha Danes. And Samantha, thanks for being with me. It's great to be here. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to have you with me on today's episode of The Appleseed. A moment ago, you heard the story, When Our Streetlights Come On, a story from Nora Dooley that's sure to remind you of a summer memory or two. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from Olga Loya with a story about a possum and coyote, and Tim Lowry with a story simply called Summer, a series of vignettes about summer memories for him. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share around the fire or around the kitchen table or the living room with people that you love. Here's a memory of mine, a memory about spending some time in a canyon. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thank heaven for good guides. Everyone has a thing. Mine is heights. I'm a first-class acrophobe. Thing is, I love to live in the world, and sometimes things in the world are high, so I've got to manage it. I want to descend the canyons and cross the bridges and hike the ranges. I want to see the views. You know how it is. What would living in the world be without some of those things? But, yeah, it's tricky. I imagine. I tremble. There's probably some childhood experience or something that would explain it. But in the meantime, I'm caught between getting dizzy and trembly in high places and not wanting to miss out on experiences that are worth having just because of my irrational phobia. And what it means is that every once in a while I find myself in a situation like the situation in which I found myself with a bunch of work colleagues one late summer day, hiking in Zion National Park in southern Utah. Now, Zion National Park has plenty of hikes for the timid, walks, really, along some of the most beautiful vistas on Earth. And Zion National Park also contains some hikes that are not for the faint of heart, like the Angel's Landing Trail with drop-offs of more than a thousand feet on either side of the narrow trail. This hike was somewhere in between. It's the Pine Creek Canyon Trail, and it's nothing like the Angel's Landing Trail, but it's tricky. There are parts of the trail where you have to swim. There are parts of the trail down which you have to rappel on ropes. 
and the hike culminates in a hundred-foot free-hanging rappel to the canyon floor. I know, I get it, some of you eat hundred-foot rappels for breakfast, some of you are my friends and family members, and to you, I say, jump in the lake. A hundred-foot fall will kill you even on a good day, and folks like me, well, let's just say that it's plenty. The hike was incredibly beautiful through the swirls and layers of Utah's red rock country, and it was awe-inspiring to contemplate the forces that shaped the narrow canyon. Sometimes the canyon walls would nearly join far above us, and more than once we'd see an enormous log wedged between the narrow walls, some 20 or 30 feet above our heads, carried there by water that could get that deep in certain seasons. The phrase flash flood got tossed around respectfully among the hikers. We kept our eyes open for weather, but it was a beautiful, beautiful clear day. We'd come through holes in the rock to find shady grottos with sandy bottoms. We'd scramble over moss-covered boulders as big as cars. There's something otherworldly about a place like that, something outsized about it, like the natural world is simply being incredible on its own terms and at its own size without thought for critters like you. It was really an extraordinary day. The little rappels along the path were not a big deal. I mean, I'm not so much of an acrophobe that I can't take a rope down 10 or 15 feet of cliff to find the soft dirt trail again at the bottom. And there were a half dozen or more of those as we went along. I was made considerably less nervous by the fact that I was in the company of some real experts. These were guys who taught guys like me to do this stuff. Guys who had hiked this canyon a hundred times. They knew where the tricky places in the trail were. They knew where the bolts were to tie in for a rappel. And they were great at working with the inexperienced, like me. It was they to whom I looked when I had a question or when I felt at all nervous, which was frequently. And then, finally, the final rappel down an enormous open chamber to the canyon floor, a hundred feet below. It kind of sneaks up on you, to tell the truth, and you wait in line for your turn, and you clip into the rope, and you lower yourself through a kind of partial ceiling down through the Cathedral of Stone, your voice echoing off these enormous cliffs. I hung back. I wanted to see a few people do it before I went to the edge myself. One by one, my friends disappeared, and I could hear them laughing with exhilaration as they descended. Then, finally, my turn. The guides that I'd come to trust so thoroughly stood above the bolt from which hung the rope on which I'd descend. And as I approached the edge, I told them that I wasn't going to look down. Rather, I was going to look directly at them as I secured myself to the rope, and I was going to keep looking at them as I began to lower myself, and that's what I did. Locked my eyes on my guides, and down I went. I was 20 or 30 feet down the rope, maybe, when I took my eyes off my guides and began to look around. Hanging there in that open space was indeed thrilling. Hollering out in exhilaration in that enormous chamber of rock, it was unforgettable. I'm so glad I had that experience. I arrived on the canyon floor, safe and sound, filled with the euphoria that comes with doing stuff like that. It wasn't the last time I'd ever do something like that. There's plenty of that kind of thing in my future, I'm sure. And as I engage with stuff against which my phobias cry out, I'm always glad to have a good guide to talk me through it. 
Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. There's a lot more coming up in a moment. You're going to hear from Tim Lowry, a story called Summer, about childhood summers in South Carolina. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we read, the songs that we remember, the meals that we share, and certainly through the tales that we tell, passed down from teller to listener, sometimes over generations. And talking about some of the ways in which those great stories get down into our lives is something that we love to do here on The Appleseed with friends. And I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our friends, our producer, Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. It's great to be back. You know, sometimes our conversations are about movies. Today, it's all about TV. It's all about TV, but as a springboard into TV, I just want to ask you a question. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. There are a few years between us. I won't say how that comes out mathematically, <laughs> but... Um, that's very, that's very politic. You're on the, I'll just say you're yeah. on the older end that's of your right. family, right? <laughs> right, that's true. Do you ever remember as a child, maybe as a teenager, competing for telephone time? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. only and so I was many the, telephones. I mean, I was the oldest, right? Yeah. But I didn't have the authority, in, you know, <laughs> to, to even, to even like, you know, pull rank on my younger brothers. I, right. You, absolutely, I experienced right. what you're talking about. So I never really experienced that competition because I'm on the youngest, I, I'm, I am the youngest in my family. And so by the time I was a teenager, my older siblings were grown up. A lot of them were out of the house already. I do remember, though, when I did get some telephone time and I was speaking to a girl that if I really didn't have that much in common, I would take a few minutes and write down some bullet points of things that we could discuss, <laughs> right? Just so that I'm not stumped and there aren't I those pregnant pauses. I love that. I love that. <laughs> but uh, there was a competition for TV time, yeah. right? There was a TV in our family room and there was a TV in my parents' room. And then for a short period of time, there was a TV up in the attic space where my brothers had their bedroom until a fire marshal came over and said we couldn't do that anymore, <laughs> right? So really, there were two TVs and two VCRs. And some people listening might be saying, what is a VCR? <laughs> a VCR was this delightful device that uh, you could put a videotape in, and the uh. videotape would allow you to record content. So if I, if I missed a program, it was okay because I had the backup of the videotape. Right. Now, there were three settings on the videotape that would allow you to record uh, with varying lengths of right. time, right? So standard, in varying qualities, standard right? so you, play yeah. was the highest quality, but that only got you two hours on the videotape. Yeah. I can't remember what the middle one was, but that one would get you four hours. LP. Uh, wasn't there? Well, I, I guess. And I can't then remember. extended play extended, was yeah. the, you know, the lowest quality, but you could get six hours of content on that videotape. Yeah. And let's say you I went. Think my VCR said SP, LP, and SLP. That's the one. S S yes. SP, standard play. LP, long play. Yes. And SLP, super long play, or something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I even knew the tricks of how to, how to tape over things on the videotape. Yeah. You could take a piece of scotch tape. And there was this little notch on the front of the videotape that if you put the piece of scotch tape over that, you could record over the content 
<laughs> Same thing with uh, cassette tapes that you would put in a cassette player. Yeah. You could put a piece of scotch tape and record over it that way. But I remember Saturday nights were the worst for trying to get my TV viewing in because Saturday night for me was Snick at night. So on Nickelodeon, they had just picture this two hours of programming, Sam. You had the adventures of Pete and Pete. You had, uh, I think there was, Clarissa explains it all at one point. There was Ren and Stimpy. And then Are You Afraid of the Dark to top it all off. So this perfect two-hour block, not since must-see TV on NBC (laughs) was there, or at least to me, like this was the most important thing to me in the world. And it turns out that there were times that even when the TV wasn't available, the VCR also happened to not be available. I remember going over to neighbors' homes so desperate to not miss my programming that I would sheepishly knock on my friend's door at 9.30 at night and say, can I come in and watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) And this was my world, right? Yeah. And the youngest of seven kids, it just didn't always work out for me, which was just a shame. Yeah. I don't know if you had similar experiences in trying to trying to compete for TV time and who 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 was on that ranking who what in what order are you ranked right right you were right. the oldest so your odds were probably better than mine yeah well yeah yeah I would say yes I would say my odds were better than yours <laughs> doesn't mean I always got my way but my odds were better than yours yeah I mean just just having that entertainment and there's something comforting about that even today I look back and I've actually tried to reintroduce some of these old classics, <laughs> and I still get a kick out of watching yeah. them. There's certainly that, uh, you know, that nostalgia factor. Yeah. But uh, some might argue my kids are a little too young to be introduced to Are You Afraid of the Dark? But er- almost every single episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark is now on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> and so I can rediscover these with my kids. That's, that's, that's what I'm experiencing now, right? All of the things that I felt like when I was a kid that I missed out on for one reason or another and I was grumpy about and would never have that experience again, I'm finding that all these things are available at at, at any time, at the drop of a hat, anytime you want to press a button, right? Yeah. So I'm finding that, that that's the experience that I'm having now. I'm always baffled when I try to show these old TV shows to my kids, like Double Dare and Ren and Stimpy, although they do love Ren and Stimpy. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And uh, I'm always baffled that they don't love them as much as I did. But uh, we have streaming, which makes it a whole lot easier. And I'll tell you the thing I remember about VHS tapes is every once in a while I'd put in something that I wanted to watch, and I'd be watching it and watching it and watching it, and then suddenly it would fuzz out. And something else would come on the VHS tape. No! <laughs> and then fuzz back in again sometimes, you know. But yeah. uh, good memories, memories of TV, VHS tapes. You never know what's going to spark a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to spark. Jeff, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Jeff Simpson, our producer. We'll be sure to have him back. Lots more coming up. Tim Lowry up next. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's great to have you with me on today's episode of The Appleseed. Up next, a story from Tim Lowry called Summer, a series of vignettes of summer memories from Tim's childhood, in addition to a recitation of Casey at the Bat, the 1888 poem by Ernest Thayer that is as much a part of summer memories as baseball itself. Here's Tim Lowry on The Appleseed. When I was a boy growing up on Henry's Branch, summer was my favorite time of the year. It was the season of shorts and flip-flops, bike rides down to Granny's store to buy ice cream. You could go fishing down at the river, and after waiting around for about a half hour if you didn't get any bites, you'd just throw your fishing pole down and then jump in the water and go swimming instead. Camping out in the backyard, those were all great summer activities, but that wasn't the best part of summer. Mm-mm. The best part of summer was baseball. I was a Cincinnati Reds fan. Johnny Bench was my favorite player. My Uncle Ralph, who was an old Southern gentleman, he was a baseball fan. He used to say, Watching a baseball game is like reading Ralph Waldo Emerson. It just goes along and goes along and goes along. But if you're patient, sooner or later, something exciting will happen that will raise you right up out of your chair. Now, baseball is a young man's sport. When you get to be middle-aged, you play softball. And every summer, my family would make several trips to the baseball field to watch the Baptist Church Softball League. We would put all the picnic supplies in the back of the Ford Pinto station wagon. Summertime when I was growing up was baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and a Ford Pinto station wagon. My family never drove a Chevrolet. One time, my dad was in charge of bringing drinks to the church picnic and softball game, and so he mixed up a big five-gallon bucket full of red Kool-Aid and set it in the back of the Ford Pinto station wagon, and I sat next to it, and he said, Now don't let that red Kool-Aid slosh while we're driving. Like I was going to be able to keep that Kool-Aid from sloshing out. We went over the railroad tracks, and a huge wave of red Kool-Aid came out the top of that bucket and slopped all over me. I was soaked to the skin. I don't even remember who won the softball game that afternoon. I was too uncomfortable. I was so sticky, I stuck to the bleachers and had to be peeled off after the ninth inning. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two, with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first, and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could get but a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, and the former was a Lulu and the latter was a Flake. 
So upon that stricken multitude grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, and the men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell, it knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance gleamed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone in the stand, and it's likely they'd a killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew, but Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and the echo answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. I remember how we used to get together in the backyard and practice baseball. Somebody would pitch, somebody else would hit, and if there was a third player, they'd go way out in the outfield and catch and throw it or roll it back in. Everybody would get their turn at bat. One day, I was watching my sister, she was quite a tomboy, play with her friend Jeremy. The events of that summer afternoon led me to write this story. Jennifer was sitting on the front porch waiting for her friend Jeremy to come. Jeremy was her best friend in the whole wide world. They'd gone to school together their whole lives, and next year they'd be in third grade already. 
And Jeremy was going to come over and spend the whole afternoon, and they were going to do all kinds of cool stuff. But it seemed like it was taking forever for Jeremy to get there. Sometimes it's like that. Your mom says you can have a friend over to play, and it takes them forever to get there. Finally, Jennifer saw a big brown and green station wagon pull into the driveway. She knew that was the car Jeremy's daddy drove, and she jumped off the front porch swing and went running down the sidewalk yelling, Hey, Jeremy, come on, hurry up, hurry up. I've been waiting for you. We're going to do lots of cool stuff. Jeremy climbed out the back of the station wagon. He had a big red duffel bag hanging from one shoulder, and he was lugging a big blue suitcase. Jennifer grabbed the suitcase to help him with his stuff. His dad backed the car out onto the road, and then he rolled the window down, and he called out, Now, Jeremy, you mind your manners, and we'll call from the hospital as soon as we know anything. And then he rolled up the window, and he drove away kind of fast. Jennifer looked at Jeremy, and she said, Is your dad sick? No. Is your mama sick? No. Why are they going to the hospital if nobody's sick? <sighs> Jeremy thought girls were dumb. Because today's the day my mom is going to have the baby and they're going to the hospital and then when she has the baby, they're going to call me to let me know if it's a boy or a girl. It's going to be a surprise. Oh, Jennifer had already forgotten all about that. That's why Jeremy was coming to spend the afternoon with her so that his parents could go to the hospital because it was time for his mama to have the baby. Did you bring some cool stuff? Yes, yeah, said Jeremy. I got everything I need right here in this big red duffel bag. They sat down on the front porch steps, and he unzipped the big red duffel bag, and he started pulling out all kinds of good stuff. He pulled out a baseball bat, the metal kind, because they hit best. And then he pulled out a baseball mitt, it was brand new. He hadn't even oiled it up yet. And then he pulled out a baseball. It said Cincinnati Reds right on the side of it. After that, he pulled out roller skates with bright green wheels. And then finally, he pulled out a big jar with a lid screwed on the top, had holes poked in the lid. What's that for? asked Jennifer. It's for catching frogs. Oh. Well, if you got all this cool stuff in the duffel bag, what'd you bring that suitcase for? Oh, my mom thinks the baby might take a while to come and I might have to spend the night. That's just got toothbrush and underwear and stuff like that in it. We don't even need to look at that. So they sat down on the front porch steps, tried to figure out what they wanted to do first. And they couldn't think of nothing. You know how that is. Sometimes you wait and you wait and you wait for a friend to come over and play. And then when they get there, you can't think of nothing to do. So while they sat there on the front porch steps, Jennifer started asking questions. So your mom is ready to have the baby? Yep. Do you want her to have a brother or a sister? You want your mama to have a boy or a girl? Jeremy didn't have to think about that one second. He jumped up and he said, I want a boy because boys can play baseball better. Uh, I can play baseball. So they decided that's what they'd do. They'd have a baseball playing contest, boys against girls, and see who was best. Jeremy got to bat first because it was his stuff. So he got the bat, walked out into the backyard, and he banged the bat on a rock, took some practice swings to get ready. Jennifer got the baseball glove, and she shoved it on her hand. Good grief. That glove was so big, when she held it up, covered up her whole head. She got the Cincinnati Reds baseball. She ground it down into the glove. She walked across the backyard, dug herself a line in the dirt, and then she wound up and pitched the ball toward Jeremy. It flew right across the backyard and hit him right in the leg. Ow! <laughs> you throw like a girl! <laughs> I am a girl. 
throw it easy so I can hit it. Oh, fine. She stomped over and slapped that big glove down on the ground. She couldn't use that big fat thing. It was too big. She picked up the Cincinnati Reds baseball and she walked back to her line in the dirt. She ground the ball down into her bare hand. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And she pitched it underhanded in an easy lob so he could hit it. Whack! When Jeremy hit the ball, instead of it flying out into the grass, like when ballplayers get a hit on TV, it shot straight up into the air like a rocket, nearly out of sight. Pop fly, straight up. Jennifer started moving imaginary baseball players out of the way. I got it, I got it, she said. And then the ball stopped climbing and it started to fall. I got it, I got it. The ball came down faster and faster. Wham! She caught it with her bare hand. Ow! Burned like fire. When she pulled the ball out of her hand, she had Cincinnati Reds tattooed right across her palm. But she didn't cry. She just waved the ball under Jeremy's nose and said, You're out. Now which do you want? A boy or a girl? <clears throat> Jeremy just got beat at baseball by a girl. He said, I still want my mama to have a baby boy because they can roller skate better. I can roller skate. So they decided that's what they'd do. They'd have a roller skating contest, boys against girls, and see who was best. Jennifer went in the house to get her roller skates. Jeremy sat down on the front porch, pulled off his shoes, put on his skates, tightened up the laces real good. Jennifer came back out with her skates, and they skated up and down the driveway two or three times, but they never could decide who was best. Then Jeremy went inside the garage. He rummaged around for a little while. When he came back, he had a board in one hand, and a box in the other. He skated all the way down to the end of the driveway, right by the mailbox. He put the box down with the board leaning against it, kind of slanty-like. Let's jump. Jennifer didn't think that was a good idea. Somebody might get hurt. Jeremy said he wasn't chicken. He skated up to the top of the driveway, turned by the garage door, came zooming down, hit the board, flew up over the box, and landed perfect. Boosh. He looked at Jennifer and stuck out his tongue. Your turn. She didn't say a word. She skated to the top of the driveway, turned quick by the garage door, came zooming down, hit the board, flew up over the box, whirled around backward, and landed on one foot. Ta-da! Then she stopped and did a fancy little bow and said, I've been practicing. Now, which do you want, a boy or a girl? Ugh. Jeremy just got beat at roller skating by a girl. But he said, I still want my mama to have a boy because boys can catch frogs better. Uh, I can catch a frog. So they decided that's what they'd do next. They'd have a frog catching contest, boys against girls, and see who was best. They pulled their skates off, pulled their socks off, rolled their breeches legs way up above their knees. Jeremy got his jar, and they went out the back gate and down to the ditch behind the yard looking for frogs. They stuck their hands down in the green, gooky water, and Jennifer caught two. She found a big green jumping frog with long, dangly legs. <laughs> she poked him into one pocket, and then she found a brown toad with bumps on his head. She poked him in the other pocket. Jeremy looked all afternoon, but all he found was a mud hole full of tadpoles. They'd be frogs someday, but he couldn't wait that long. So she won that, too. 
They came back into the yard, Jeremy's big jar full of empty, Jennifer's pockets bulging with amphibians, and she started to tease him. So now which do you want, a boy or a girl? Ugh! Jeremy had been beat at everything they played all day long. He got beat at frog catching. He got beat at roller skating. He got beat at baseball playing. He blurted out, I don't want a girl. If that's what you, if that's, <sighs> he had to think of something really bad. If that's what you think, I'd rather kiss a frog. Jennifer reached in her pockets and pulled out two. Which one do you want to kiss, the boy or the girl? <gasps> Jeremy was so mad, he grabbed up that big green frog and socked it right to his lips. Oh, oh, that tasted awful. He threw that old frog down. Ooh, he had to wash his mouth out. Now, there was no time to run inside and get a glass of Kool-Aid. Uh, there was the water hose running into the flower bed. He jerked the water hose out, unscrewed the sprinkler, and stuck the hose in his mouth. The water was swishing around in his mouth and squirting out his nose. <laughs> Just then, the front door flung open on the porch, and Jennifer's mom stepped out. She had the telephone in her hand. Jeremy, your mama called from the hospital. She had a boy and a girl. She had twins, <laughs> said Jeremy with the water hose in his mouth. What did he say? Jennifer was happy to translate for her friend. He's glad his mama had a boy and a girl. He'll kiss them both. He's just glad his mama didn't have a big green frog. Tim Lowry with some summer memories, all part of a collection of stories with stories inspired by the seasons of the year. That, of course, is the summer entry in that collection. Up next, a story from Olga Loya. This is a Mexican folk tale about a trickster, a possum, and the many ways he plays tricks on coyote. It's a fun bilingual frolic through the adventures of these two critters, a possum and coyote by Olga Loya. Here on the Appleseed. Opossum and Coyote, a Mexican folktale. One day, as Coyote was traveling along, he met Tlacuache, Opossum. Tlacuache lay on his back with his feet supporting a huge Benya rock formation. Ah, Coyote thought, I can get venganza. Vengeance for all the tricks Opossum has played on me. He jumped towards Opossum and said, Ahora mismo te voy a comer. Now I'm going to eat you. You have played too many tricks on me. But it's not I who played tricks on you, said Tlacuache. Somos muchos. There are many of us. Está Tlacuache de los nopales. There is the Opossum of the prickly pears. It's Tlacuache de las montañas. The Opossum of the mountains. It's Tlacuache de las flores the opossum of the flowers. Besides, don't you see I'm holding up the cielo sky? This work makes me tired. Here I am saving all the other animals from the falling sky, and no one has brought me anything to eat. Tengo tanta hambre. I am so hungry. ¿Podrías ayudarme? Por favor, could you help me, please? Well, said Coyote, who was very hungry and a little bit frightened by the prospect of the falling sky. Just take my place so I can go and get some tortillas for us. I will also get a pole to hold up the sky so we can eat comfortably. Coyote did not want the sky to fall. Besides, he loved tortillas. So he agreed to take a possum's place. 
He carefully lay down next to Tlacuache, and as Tlacuache slid out, Coyote took his place. He put his feet up against the rocks and pushed. Quédate allí hasta que yo regrese, viejo amigo. No tardo mucho. Stay there until I come back, old friend. I won't take long, said Tlacuache. Sí, compadre, old friend, but go rapidly, said Coyote. Tlacuache ran out while Coyote lay on the ground with his feet against the rocks. Time passed, and Tlacuache did not come back. Coyote felt tired. At first, his legs grew numb, and then they started to ache. What can that Tlacuache be doing, he wondered. He waited without moving. Finally, he could not lie there any longer. I don't care if the sky does fall, thought Coyote. Yo me voy. I'm going to leave. He got up rapidly and ran behind the rocks. After a few minutes, he peeked around the corner of a rock and saw that nothing had happened. Everything was the same as before. Coyote was very angry. Ese tacuache me ha engañado otra vez. That tacuache has tricked me again. And off he went, looking for him. He found him that night. Tlacuache was standing between some very big cactuses, looking up at the sky. Coyote snuck up behind him and grabbed him. Now I will eat you, he yelled. Siempre andas engañándome. You are always tricking me. Oh, now, Coyetito, somos muchos. There are many of us. Está el Tlacuache de los Nopales? There is the opossum of the prickly pears? El tacuache de las montañas, the opossum of the mountains. El tacuache de las flores, the opossum of the flowers. Well, if it wasn't you that tricked me, then let us pass the time together. If you are hungry, we can eat some prickly pears, said Tlacuache. He was, after all, the tlacuachito of prickly pears. Here, he continued, come closer to the prickly pear tree and we will eat these pears. He gave the peelings to the coyote. In a moment, Coyote's face was filled with thorns. You got me covered with thorns, he wailed. He ran howling down the road. Tomorrow I will eat you. That night, when Coyote finally reached home, sore, tired, and angry, he went to sleep, mumbling to himself, Tomorrow I will eat that tlacuache. Tomorrow I will eat that tlacuache. Coyote did not find him until another day. Tlacuache was high up on a rock. Coyote came up behind him and said, Ah, ahora voy a comerte. Ah, now I will eat you. Pero coyote, somos muchos. There are many of us, said Tlacuache. Está el Tlacuache de los nopales. There is the opossum of the prickly pears. El Tlacuache de las montañas, the opossum of the mountains. El Tlacuache de las flores, the opossum of the flowers. I would not play a trick on you. Oh, Coyote replied, then if you are not the one who played a trick on me, let us visit. What are you doing up on that rock? Oh, I was just looking down there. Tlacuache pointed to a rock formation at the bottom that looked like a house. Some very good friends of mine live down there, and they are always very generous with their food. I was thinking of going down there and eating with them. Would you like to come? But how will we get down there? asked Coyote. Oh? We could just jump and land on that tree close to the house. Oh, no. Eso parece muy peligroso. That looks too dangerous. I've done it many times and nothing has ever happened to me. Coyote was so busy looking down that he did not notice that a possum was stuffing his tail into a tight crevice in the rock. 
I'll do it, but only if we jump at the same time. Oh, eso no es ningún problema. Oh, that is no problem at all. A possum and coyote stood together at the edge of the rock. Uno, dos, tres! Tlacuache began to count. Now! he yelled. They left at the same time, but Tlacuache stayed safely on the ledge because his tail was caught in the crevice of the rock. Coyote went flying out into the sky. Some say he landed on the moon, and this is who we see when the moon is full. Others say Coyote is still looking for that Tlacuache. Olga Loya with Opossum and Coyote, a classic Latin American trickster tale. And we're going to wrap up with a song from Allison Downey, a song about traveling and coming home again. There are pleasures in both of those things, aren't there? It's called Texas Home Again. Allison Downey on the Appleseed. It does me good to see you again, to see your smiling skies and your white cloud grin, to feel the warm embrace of the sun's rays on my face. Oh, Texas, it does.
That's right. Alison Downey capturing the feeling of traveling and coming home again with a song called Texas Home Again from an album called Across the Sea. Fun to share stories from Tim Lowry and Olga Loya, a conversation with Jeff Simpson, an entry in the Radio Family Journal about canyoneering, and When Our Streetlights Come On, a story from Nora Dooley. Such a pleasure to be with you. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.